Our world is changing. It's time for fresh ideas and new points of view. I'm Jana Peel, Global Head of Arts and Culture at Chanel. And this is Chanel Connects, bringing together creative game changers from film, art, dance, music, and more. Can you hear me, Charles? Yeah, I can. Hi, Emerald. Hey, it's so nice to meet you. It's great to meet you, John. Great to finally meet you, Annika. Thanks for having us. Some are old friends and collaborators. Others are meeting for the first time. All are focused on what matters most and what's coming next. And now we get to listen in. In this episode, we're connecting David Halberg and Lil Buck. David was once described by The New Yorker as the most exciting male dancer in the Western world. He was inspired to pursue a career in dancing at an early age by watching Fred Astaire, and he worked his way up through the American Ballet Theater, going on to become the first American principal dancer at the Bolshoi Ballet in Moscow. However, his dance career came to a halt when a severe injury took him off stage for two years. Having moved to Melbourne in the height of the pandemic, David's much-anticipated return to the stage at the Australian Ballet was just announced earlier this year. David is connecting with dancer and actor Lil Buck. Buck specializes in an altogether different kind of dance, Chukin. Chukin originates in Buck's hometown of Memphis and has taken Buck far in life. He went viral by performing alongside cellist Yo-Yo Ma. He's since danced for Madonna at her Super Bowl halftime show as well as for the New York City Ballet, just to name a few. I'm joined by David and Buck to discuss what's coming next in dance and to ask, do they have nothing in common or everything in common? Oh my God, this is so exciting. Whoa, all right. David Halberg, Lil Buck, I am so excited to be here Two dance legends who are best placed to tell us what matters most, what's coming next in dance. And I'm here in London, and I would love to find out where this conversation finds you. I am in currently in Palo Alto right now, uh, in the midst of the Memphis Jukin uh, show tour. And David, good morning. Good morning, all the way from Melbourne, Australia. It's a bright and sunny morning here. Well, good day, mate. Good day. It's a pleasure to pin you guys down. And I imagine that neither of you is very good at sitting still. So I'd love to ask you when that is most impossible. Now. (laughs) (laughs) No, but seriously, I'm at my least still. When I'm in the studios, you know, just trying to develop new works, you know, trying to figure out what what the sound looks like, you know, (laughs) Uh, that's when I'm least still. Beautiful. Now, there's so much I want to ask you about, but I want to start at the beginning. And since you're touring Memphis Jukin, the show right now, mm-hmm. can you just start by sharing with us what is Jukin? I know many people listening are likely to be familiar with ballet, but how would you explain in words the magic that you bring to the stage? Of course, Memphis Jukin is a dance style that is native to the city of Memphis. It originated in Memphis back in the mid 80s you know, going into the early 90s. Uh, It was born from Memphis underground rap music. 
So this is music that was not in the mainstream in, in Memphis. This is rap music that was literally in the underground world where you had like, you got like cassette tapes from somebody or some DJs would like sell you some, you know, back in the day when they had cassette tapes, you know, when you bought those, like, it was like direct to consumer basically from these DJs. And Memphis has this special unique sound with the way they produce and create music as far as rap music goes, you know, and how they use the, the instrumentations of, um, you know, triple hi-hats and, and, that, and that deep bass that they use in those snares and how they put all these different things together. It made us move and it made us bounce a certain way. And ultimately, that's what helped create the dance and the movement. So Memphis Jookin, if I was to describe it to somebody who's never seen it, I'd say it like, you know, it consists of a lot of slides and glides and very intricate footwork. And it's a full body movement. It's like Michael Jackson times 10. <laughs> That's how I used to see it. And so with the show, is that a new knowledge that you feel you're bringing across America? Or are you there really furthering people's engagement with the craft they're already appreciative of? No, absolutely. I think it's a new knowledge for a lot of people because a lot of people are introduced to, to Memphis Jukin through what I've done in the classical world, if that makes any sense. Like... I've had a lot of success collaborating with, you know, different artists and different musicians like Yo-Yo Ma or different like classical dancers and, and things of this nature. But and then um, just in my own arts, you know, I, I like to consider myself an artist in general, not just a Memphis Joker, but, a you know, an artist of movement. So I like to, you know, jump into different, you know, forms of movement and learn as much as I possibly can. So when you're just watching me just dance, that's a different thing than watching me joke. You know what I mean? Because, you know, it's so many different elements I take from my different experiences in dance. But when I'm just solely joking, like in its most natural form to Memphis underground rap music, you know what I mean? It's a totally different vibe and different feeling and uh, different um, movement that you're getting from me. And um, so that's why we're touring, because I want to really educate a lot of people on that and how beautiful that is. And Buck, ballet has come into your life, amazingly, in this home you mentioned, also the homeland of Elvis Presley. And I'd love to ask David whether hip-hop and Jokin have come into his life and whether anyone can learn to dance. I always say dance is primal. So anyone can not only, well, learn how to dance, but anyone can dance. And I think that's what's, whether it's ballet, whether it's Jokin, whether it's hip-hop, whether it's tap, whether it's at the club, everyone has that instinct, I think. And how did you? I had that instinct through Fred Astaire. Oh, tell us more. Uh, well, he, uh, he was on the TV screen and I was like, oh my God, he, he's, he was my instant idol. And I, I idolized him, I wanted to be like him. I taped nickels to the bottoms of my shoes to make tap shoes and, and that's when the bite started. I started in tap. Then I went to jazz and hip hop. Uh, and I was a competition baby in America. So I did all the jazz competitions, went to LA, um, then ballet. And that was, I never looked back. I had found my genre of dance. And then I just, I just worked and worked and worked. Cause 13, you know, in the, in the ballet world is a little, old to start training. I know that's a really convoluted way of thinking about age, but at 13, you know, I knew I was getting a late start, so I made up for lost time. And Buck, shortly thereafter, I think it was about 16, when you got your scholarship with the new 
ballet ensemble in Memphis. I heard there's some conditions you had before accepting that. I'd love to hear how that might have been a transformational moment in your life. There was. I'd like to say, actually, me and David got a lot in com- more in common than I thought because, you know, uh, it's crazy you say you were inspired by Fred Astaire. Fred Astaire was one of my inspirations, you know, on a certain level of dance. And I actually started when I was 13 as well. So that's amazing. I became a company member at this ballet school in Memphis, Tennessee called New Ballet Ensemble. And um, I got a scholarship to take ballet because I used to rehearse in this, in this uh, school uh, doing hip-hop dancing, actually. I was a part of this group called Subculture Royalty. And, you know, the artistic director of the ballet school, Katie Smythe, she saw me uh, just practicing in one of the rooms and I was juking and I was doing all these different things. But all she saw was like, you know, fifth position and all these. She saw all these different positions and how they coincide with Memphis juking. Right. And then she just thought it was incredible that I just did these things naturally and um, offered me a scholarship to actually take ballet and learn more about the craft. And, um, you know, just me being an open channel for dance in, in general, I um you know, I, I was always interested in it. And I was, you know, I always had that interest in how like ballerinas did certain things, how they stood on their toes so long. And so I, I was with it. You know, I just didn't want to wear tights. <laughs> you know, I was, a, I, I, I mean, I didn't, under, I understand it now, of course. You know, I understand the importance of it, you know, seeing the lines and that's how you learn and grow and know what, what you're, you know, how, which position your leg is supposed to be in and all these different things. But at that time I was young and I was a street kid, honestly. I was just a street kid. <laughs> and I was like, I'll take class. I just don't want to wear no tights. I'll come in with some sweats. Is that okay? And she said, no, that's, that's perfectly fine. That's perfectly fine. Just bring you. <laughs> I didn't want to wear tights at the beginning either. <laughs> and here you are. And here I am. So someone who I think unifies both of you in this field is Damien Wetzel, who, for anyone who doesn't know, was a principal dancer with the New York City Ballet and is now the principal of Juilliard School. And Buck, it was he who brought you together with Yo-Yo Ma and Spike Jones in the performance of that viral video of the dying swan, which seemingly changed everything for you. Can you tell me about that moment and that time in your life leading up to that moment? That was like an awakening for me, you know, like because I was so caught up in Memphis joking, you know, and just that, that one thing. And, and, uh, like, as, as I said before, I was open to, to learning different ways of movement, but, um, that actually happened for me working, like me and Damien met for me working with New Ballet Ensemble. So when I got with New Ballet, I was always in class at, at bar. Just so, you know, Katie Smythe, she saw that I was interested in dancing to different music. So she wanted, she just put on the swan and she just said, why don't you just try something? Just try dancing to this. And it was, it was Yo Ma's version of the Swan, and I was like, okay, cool, I can do something to that. And I danced. It was my first time performing the Swan actually for kids, and they just went crazy. Like, I think that video is back on YouTube right now, actually. Liquid limbs, I think that's yeah. what went viral. <laughs> but yeah, that went crazy, and and but that's what got the attention of Damian Wetzel, and then Damian reached out to me on Facebook, and it was just like, hey, I, I really want to try something with you and Yo Yo Ma. Like that song you performed too was wow. so amazing. He, he actually, you know, and then. He told me Yo-Yo Ma was in L.A., and I was actually in L.A. at the time when he reached out. So he brought us two together. I I met Yo-Yo Ma for the first time at the Walt Disney Hall, and he had a concert there. And um, Yo-Yo was, you know, he was was different, man, than anybody I've ever met. Like, (laughs) as soon as he got done rehearsing and he got off stage and he met me, he's like, so you're a little buck. And just gave me the biggest hug. And... (laughs) 
we went to this back, we were talking, and we went to this back room backstage, and he was like, you know what, I just want to try something. I just want to try something. And he opened up his, his cello, and he just started playing. And then I just started to move, like naturally. It just happened so natural. And it was like only like five people back there. And Spike Jones was there to capture the whole thing. And, you know, he, he said, I mean, as soon as he saw like this street kid <laughs> and Yo-Yo Ma come together, <laughs> you know, he was like, what's going on here? Like, I got to I think this is going to be something, you know. Did that happen on his mobile on phone? On his mobile or? phone. He was just like, this might be, oh, this might be a little special. Wow. Let, me, let, me, let me see what's up. Wow. You know, Spike Jones, you know, he's. Yeah, the great yeah. director he is. He 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 ain't gonna never miss a beat. He gonna have his camera out. So it was just like the stars aligned. David, is there any individual you can point to for a similar moment of awakening in your artistic life? Mm, great question. Um, I love when you say that. Oh, Yana, you're asking really hard questions. I, I we we've both been stumped, but Buck hasn't admitted to it being a hard question. It's except gonna get for really me. easy after. <laughs> I promise it's going to be about fame and Michael Jackson and Strictly Come Dancing after this. <laughs> um, uh, I think one of my partners, um, Natalia Osipova, who is from the Bolshoi originally, but now she's at Royal Ballet in London. And, you know, we weren't scheduled to dance together, but someone was injured. And so I stepped in and she she admitted to me um, years later that she was like, didn't want to dance with me. <laughs> she was like, was it the tights? I don't want to. It was, uh, she was like, uh, like I was given, I was given as the option and she wanted to dance with someone else. Anyway, we danced together and it was like this explosion of a partnership. It was, she's absolute fire. She's, she's temperamental she's dramatic and i'm a little more calm and cool and relaxed and we complemented each other you know opposites like absolutely attracted and it developed into this unbelievably passionate partnership you know we went to we danced in moscow together in london and new york many times romeo and juliet all these ballets anyway what what she taught me was individual interpretation in the art form. She is the kind of dancer that cannot be reined in and told um, how to do things. Even in roles like Swan Lake and these traditional ballet roles that have this preconceived idea of what it should be. So she really shifted my perspective in how ballet can be seen, experienced and interpreted. Actually, I remember probably 2013 when I first met you, David, at Lincoln Center. It was this amazing homecoming. You were the first American dancer to be the principal at the Bolshoi in Moscow. You came back to Lincoln Center to dance Swan Lake, I think it was, and also to launch the David Halberg Scholarship for Boys. And I remember that for you, there was an importance in nurturing up-and-coming male dancers. Uh, I'd love to hear about yourself having had the courage to find your calling in dance. Maybe you can expand for us on that and what that scholarship meant for you for others. Well, I mean, I just knew how difficult it was for me as a kid to wear the tights <laughs> and pursue something that, um, you know, a lot of kids around me didn't accept. Um, I was really bullied as a kid. Um, I never hid the fact that I was dancing at school, but I just was, 
you know, I was, I, I wasn't accepted. And my, the fact that I love to dance wasn't accepted. And I've spoken to so many, um, so many parents and so many kids who are being teased sort of incessantly and some, you know, consider quitting um, dance because of this reason. And it just, I don't know, offered me an excuse to, to help them in any way I can, you know, because I, I, I could always relate to it. I could always bring it back to the fact that I was like this little kid in suburbia America, you know, just like not playing baseball. And I just pointed straight forward and didn't look back and just pushed through. And, you know, obviously I got out the other end, but it wasn't easy. And David, you've pushed through and managed to innovate so much within a realm that often has a very concrete wrong or right. I know Buck was curious to ask you whether or not your students are encouraged to innovate and create as his are with Jukin. Yeah, great question. Because I, maybe because of my experience in the jazz world and, and tap dancing and Fred Astaire, um, I try and find or get their individuality out um, from them. You know, like what is their interpretation? Right now we're, you know, we're on stage doing a number of ballets and I'm always like, tell your own story on stage. You know, find it yourself. What's your narrative? What's your way of dancing? It doesn't have to be obedient because the ballet world, ballet dancers are so good at being obedient. We're, we're trained like soldiers. You know, we're told what to do, how to do it. We're corrected. We're, we're critiqued. We love that feedback. We crave that feedback. But I think what's so interesting, what interests me to any sort of dancer is their individual interpretation of their, you know, genre of dance. Buck, you're nodding your head. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I think that's incredible because um, I know the importance of both, you know, like just with my experience in ballet, I know the importance, like you said, of like, you know, I was that guy too, that I, I wanted that feedback, you know, I wanted to know that, you know, I, I was doing the right thing when it came to, um, you know, to learning my craft. And that's how, and that's what made me, you know, that's, that's what makes us grow, right? That's what makes us grow. We, we have something to, we have a goal, you know what I mean? Like if, if you're not doing something right, then you're going to fight and you're going to work. You know, dance is uh, like you said before. It's 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 primitive in us, right? It's it's, it's it was like one of the it's one of the oldest languages, right, <laughs> that we have. So, but um, so like, I think it's really important that you know, personally, that we find you know we find that time and find that space to be able to you know really practice on and work on you know learning who we are through movement you know what i mean because i'm so used to, well i see that a lot in hip-hop even in dance and hip-hop like there's a lot of hip-hop dancers that is so used to learning choreography from other choreographers that when it comes time to like just express yourself freely as you know as, as just, just who you are and as a dancer it's it's really tough and it's amazing that you you know just you're just hearing your story because you know I never knew how much we had in common. Like it's so much. Like I was bullied growing up. Like most of my throughout most of my you know school days, I was bullied. You know, and um, and what were you bullied for? David told us about his. Well, I was I was the new kid in Memphis, right? Like I was born in Chicago, but I was raised in Memphis. My family moved there when I was seven years old, and Memphis is a hard place to live. You know, just 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 growing up. Like a lot of people grow up really fast in Memphis, and I grew up kind of sheltered. 
you know, I grew and my mom worked a lot of jobs to like just make ends meet. So I grew up just mostly um, around my grandmother who sheltered me um, quite a lot. So I didn't get to really, you know, learn what was going on on the outside of the world, outside of our house. And when I moved to Memphis and then immediately just start and just got injected into this public school in Memphis and just it was a whole different culture and a whole different way that kids were going about life. It was it was I was just different, you know, and I wasn't I was kind of socially awkward. <laughs> That's why I, I spent so much time in, you know, in dance, and I still do. It's interesting. Before I turn to your bodies as artist athletes, um, which is, I think, an interesting point, I'd love to find out if each of you thinks you can move like the other with any success. How would that look if we flipped your disciplines? I have no clue. I don't think. <laughs> I don't think. I don't think. I think there's a there's a very special way that that David moves. I've seen his video. I've seen videos of David and he just brings a certain presence and it's very unique. And I was just telling him, I was like, man, you just got this presence, man, where it feels like I'm watching a movie or something. It's like, I'm watching a movie. I was like, you got that face. You got, you got the whole presence of like, dang, he just put me in the movie right now. And, um, I think that's, I mean, I think that's a cool thing too. You know, it just, it's it's what makes you, you. So, Mm -hmm. For me, it's, um, I've seen you live, I've seen you in videos, and it, this is a good segue into the body, Yana, because um, I just look at your feet, and I've had, I've been plagued with injury in in my feet, ankles and everything. So I look, I, I was, you know, looking at you this morning on video, and I was like, no, 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 no. There's no way. <laughs> so um, you do your thing, I'll do mine, and we'll appreciate each other from afar. Absolutely. <laughs> and David, you touched on the ankle, the injury, which nearly brought you to the end of your career in 2014 when you lost two and a half years of your life, which must have felt like two and a half decades. Can you talk about the kind of identity crisis, a serious injury must have provoked in you as a dancer at the top of your game at that time? Sure. I mean, I think something um, interesting you said is at the top of my game. I mean, I was in the prime of my career physically. You know, you really peak in your early 30s. And and that's when I um, abused my body. Um, I was flying all around the world, like all these opera houses, doing all these shows. And I just was not taking care of my my instrument. And what happened was I just ignored, ignored, ignored until I couldn't anymore. I really, I literally couldn't jump. And to be honest, the, the um, performance you saw in New York was my last performance on stage before I went off and had surgery and it just all went south from there. But what happened was I lost ego, which was actually ended up being a really good thing. So I was riding high, the ego was coming along with it. I was, you know, I I thought I was invincible in a way. And then everything came crashing down and I couldn't do what people celebrated me as. And I had to rebuild myself as a person back from the ground up over two and a half years, essentially. Um, and that was obviously life-changing, but it was obvious, it was as well, I, this, this rebirth 
of who I was as a person, not who I was as the dancer people expected me to be. And so now that I'm not, you know, not now that my first job isn't as dancer, it's as artistic director, I'm cool with that. Like I didn't go through like this whole crisis, which a lot of ballet dancers go through when they have to stop dancing because they lose their identity completely and they don't know what to do. And I went through that. And then I, you know, went through, I got back to it and was like, you know what, this is great. This doesn't last forever. So I'm really grateful for the moments that I have. And Buck, how has your body changed in the time you've been dancing? Has it led you, your instrument, in any new directions? Absolutely. So um, it's it, this is quite refreshing, this conversation and just hearing everything that David has to say about his personal journey in dance because um, I've experienced a similar um, a similar thing, you know, with my body as far as, you know, injuries go. I injured my right ankle and got a, um, a and I think I had a hairline fracture in my in, in the outside of my right ankle. And I, I just kind of ignored my body, like you were saying. And it was this one performance where I was performing at um, – I was, I was practicing and rehearsing to perform this show called Low Buck Bending the Road at the Delacorte Theater in New York in Central Park. And um, during that rehearsal that night, the night before the show, I had a really bad injury to my ankle because it, we were dancing outside and it was like a marley floor and there was this lake behind it. And just I think just the humidity and all that stuff, you know, the, when the, the floor starts to sweat or whatever, or water starts to come up and... I was doing some spins and came down too hard on on my ankle. And um, as flexible and as crazy as my ankles can get, I have to be mentally prepared. You know, I know what I'm getting myself into before it happens. And this happened so fast that it really injured my ankle and I couldn't dance for a while either. It wasn't nearly as long as, you know, yours was, David, but I couldn't I couldn't move for about three months and that sucked. So I can only feel like I, I couldn't even imagine what you went through <laughs> because it was the dark ages for me for those three months. You know, um, I, I, I can no longer do a lot of the things that I used to do with my ankles now. Like a lot of those videos you probably see me on YouTube doing where it's just like, it looks like the impossible that I'm doing with my ankles. There's a lot of those things I can't do right now. All right. Well, take us to those videos with Madonna, Janelle Monet. Maybe give us a little bit of an idea yeah, we're, uh, of what yeah. those videos looked like. <laughs> so, yeah, you you can look up some Memphis Jookin' videos of me, some battles of me on YouTube and, uh, you know, Lil Bug versus G-Nerd or some videos of, like, <laughs> uh, me, you know, performing with Madonna at the Super Bowl or any of those things. And, and you can see that I have a lot of strength and flexibility in my ankles and I can like twist them different ways and I, and, and, you know, balance in these crazy, you know, positions that aren't natural. But, um, a lot of that has gone away now where I can, it was a point where I couldn't even flex my foot on the outside. I couldn't, you know, I used to be able to walk on the, on the, on my outside ankles. You know, I used to be able to walk comfortably on those and, and do a lot of things on the outsides of my ankles, but it was a point where I couldn't even bend my outside ankle. I still can't. I have a lot of restrictions now, so it's a lot of things that I really can't do. What about mental health? Because you've talked about the vulnerability, you've talked about the validation, you've talked about your bodies as instruments, 
And yet we're coming out of one of the hardest moments and eras for dancers with theaters darkened uh, and stages roped off. So I'd love to hear how you're thinking about that mental health aspect when it comes to dance, what you're doing about it, what you think we're going to be seeing coming out of this unprecedented moment. Hmm. You know, here at the Australian Ballet, we um, we focus a lot actually on mental health. We found that um, during the lockdowns, because Melbourne is the the city with the longest lockdown in the world, we've we've carried that title <laughs> since uh, the pandemic more or less ended, and we noticed that the dancers really obviously suffered during the the lockdowns. So we here um, take mental health almost as seriously as physical health. We've got a really great um, physio team here, but we also have the sort of wellness coach that the dancers can rely on. And um, not, you know, not everywhere is like that. Like, like Russia isn't like that at Bolshoi theater. Like it's very much just, just get on with it. But here we want to have the dancers as mentally and physically balanced as possible. So then we're able when we get into the studio or on stage to push you know, push to the limits, push really far. But we know that we have um, strong bodies, strong minds. And with TikTok exploding as a digital stage, has that been a positive evolution for the dancers? It has. And, you know, it's, it's, it isn't anything that we sort of have integrated into the, the fabric of the company. You know, we're, we're a live art, we're, we're on, on the stage, on the stages in Australia and around the world. But I, you know, I see the power in, in not only TikTok, but in social media. And I'm always, you know, promoting and, and telling them to, to go, you know, learn the TikTok dances, uh, get it up because, you know, we've, they've seen some benefits (laughs) and, and it's nice. It's nice to see. I mean, we've all seen, you know, the TikTok videos that have gone viral which is great. I think the dancers should absolutely participate in it. Bach, what do you think of these evolutions? Yeah, I mean, I think they, there's a lot of kids that, that are rushing themselves now, you know, to get that instant success. You know, for me in my generation, when I was growing up, I've, I had the patience because there was no social media growing up. So I had to be patient with learning and with actually, you know, um, taking the time to learn a craft and try my best to, you know, master what I can in that craft and get as good as I possibly could get. But now with this new, um, with this new generation and, and how fast, how people are getting such instant or fast success and, 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 and going viral really fast on social media, a lot of the aspirations of the dancers have changed, but they still want that longevity. There's a lot of kids who are getting viral out there just by hitting a few moves, right? Like in 30 seconds. And they don't know which way to go. I've had a lot of kids that reached out to me on social media saying, how do you do it? How do you have longevity in your career? Because I've, you know, and, and there a lot of them are Instagram stars and that's just my feeling on it. And that's what I've been, I've been trying my best to share, you know, and to share my experiences as a dancer and my successes as a dancer in performing arts and uh, with, with the kids that I'm working with right now, not to, you know, to, to have fun with that, but not be, let that be the only thing that they work towards. And David, I think you share that ethos of knowing how to master the rules before you can break them. 
What does the new era of the Australian ballet look like with you as artistic director now? The future looks <laughs> looks bright. You know, it looks, I think, I mean, I, I really believe that. I mean, I'm not here to to only look at heritage. You know, I don't think that they brought in a non-Australian, like, who's had all these weird um, experiences in ballet in Russia and in, in London and everywhere else. They didn't bring me in to, to play safe. And there's repertoire that we're bringing in that, that the dancers are really eager to do, like in terms of contemporary dance, um, some work from Netherlands Dance Theater and, and, and Justin Peck all over. But it's my MO to bring audiences along here on that outlook because yes, we do Swan Lake. Yes, we do Romeo and Juliet. Yes, um, we'll continue to do these works that are timeless, but you know, there's no freshness in an art form if you just do those ballets. And, and I'm testing, honestly, full confession, I'm testing the audience out. I'm seeing what their threshold is because audiences are malleable. You know, audiences are, if they're curious, you can bring them along on the journey. And people trust the Australian ballet here, which is great. And so they trust that we will bring them on this journey into new, you know, genres and new ways of, of telling the story through dance. And before we move to Buck, what's coming next? Who should the listeners be looking out for as we come out in terms of new voices, fresh talent, what might not already be on our radar that is really, really important to watch? You know, I think there's amazing work coming out of um, New York right now, to be honest. There's a whole understanding or reinterpretation of who creates for a ballet company. And ABT is doing that, New York City Ballet is doing that, and also Royal Ballet is doing that in London. You know, it used to be like, oh, it's only a choreographer that can create on point shoes um, and and create a, a story ballet that's two acts and has an interval and is two hours long. And all of that is being sort of rethought, which I think is is due time that the ballet world brings other people in. And that's something that I'm doing here at the Australian Ballet. I'm bringing in the contemporary dance field in Australia. You know, we're opening the doors. We're seeing what, what can be created that isn't ballet choreography per se, or what people assume should be created on ballet dancers. And I mean, Buck, you've, you've done that in the past. I mean, you've worked with ballet dancers and you've, um, I'm sure you've seen the curiosity in ballet dancers. Absolutely. But you've also um, started to, you know, question, well, what does a ballet dancer do? You know, what do you do with a ballet dancer? I think that's what's important in the dance field right now. Bach, what would you like to do next with a ballet dancer or with a dancer who's jerking? What are your wildest ambitions? I mean, I, I just love the going for new things and it's just experimenting with our bodies and what we can do and what um, and what's possible. Like, I, I love what you were saying earlier just now, um, David, about, you know, just and I, and I agree with you. There are like I, I see it like like uh, Christina Cox from um, Ballet X. You know what I mean? She's bring she's brought me in to work with Ballet X and to, you know, choreograph 
I think it's exciting. I just think it's really exciting to to try new things with their bodies and 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 see you know and just to see how far we can go with you know creating something that's like I said just not the norm. Now we are running out of time, but I would love to ask about other worlds that you're keen to explore in dance or otherwise. What do you call it? I, I forget it, but it's I forget the name of this dance style, and I, I'm embarrassed about it. But it's it's when you know. Have you ever seen the Russian dancers that like do all these different jumps and come down on their knees and then do all these crazy knee spins and just, oh my God, I yes. want that so bad. Oh my God, I'm Russian, Ukrainian. I need to know what I this want is. So right. Bad. Uh, Cossack. I think it's Cossack dancing. So Lil Buck, bad. is that where we're going that here? That is where I'm going. <laughs> I want that bad. You don't even know. Like I'm, I'm just amazed every time I see that. So, and I'm, I'm hungry for that right now. That's a pretty high hurdle, David Halberg. <laughs> no, listen, um, I, I, I spent some time in Georgia, in Tbilisi, when I was um, in my 20s. And um, I, I went to the National Georgian Dance uh, Academy, and they did exactly what you're talking about, Buck. They were like these, like, 10-year-old guys were like on their knees, on their toes, like cir <laughs> circling the studio. It was unbelievable. Mm. So, you know, I mean, I think other than like a specific example, um, like Buck gave, for me, it's really about connecting the fields, continually connecting the creative fields. And I think dance, I, well, I think ballet, needs to needs to continually stay curious in the past we haven't done a great job in being curious there are of course amazing examples but because of it being a traditional art form the ballet world needs to stay curious it needs to stay open to experiences like B buck has had it can always come to interesting kind of collaboration and interesting angles of seeing a very traditional art form. David, I think that is a beautiful and hopeful note and a ray of light in these challenging geopolitical times in terms of the importance of dance staying open and curious and telling individual stories with global residents. Thank you so much for this incredible pleasure and privilege of both of your precious time. Thank you, Buck. Thank you, David. Thank you. Thank you for having us. I really appreciate it. Yana, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Chanel Connects. Don't forget, you can follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, or your favorite podcast app. You can also listen back to season one, featuring conversations between Pharrell Williams and Ez Devlin, Kira Knightley and Lulu Wang, and many more. <laughs>